Let's stand together if we can for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah 29, verses 1 through 4 to start. The Bible says, Woe to Ariel, to Ariel the city, where David dwelt, add ye year to year. Let them kill sacrifices, yet I will distress Ariel. And there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. And I will camp against thee round about, and will lay siege against thee with a mount, and I will raise forts against thee, and thou shalt be brought down, and shall speak out of the ground, and thy speech shall be low out of the dust, and thy voice shall be as one uh, that hath a familiar spirit out of the ground, and thy speech shall whisper out of the dust. And so we're looking at this, ti- this title, Jerusalem Rebuked, Jerusalem Restored. Now the rebuking was happening right here by the prophet of a uh, of a a prophecy that would be would be fulfilled in short order. In fact, that prophecy has been fulfilled, but the restoration has not yet been fulfilled. That will come uh, in the last days during the millennial reign. We're going to get into that part of it uh, here in just a little bit. But the word Ariel, the word Ariel, we looked at that last week. We'll review it again this week. Um, for those of you that weren't here last week, that word Ariel might seem odd. The only Ariel that we know of is from the Disney Princess movies. Amen. Uh, but that's not what this is talking about. Uh, we'll look at that more closely in just a moment. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you how it speaks to us. This passage that was written several thousand years ago uh, can still be relevant to our lives today. Written to an Israeli audience, but Lord, applications can be made and, and tonight will be made. And so, Lord, we pray that truth and righteousness would be held high and your word uh, would be heralded forth, and our hearts would be so touched and moved uh, by the power of truth. May we line our hearts up with it. May we do our best to live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, we, uh, we talked about how that Israel had been living in gross sin, and God was not going to tolerate their sin any longer. He had shown compassion for generation after generation after generation, and uh, that time of, of showing compassion was running out, that patience was running out, and God was going to correct them, chastise them with love, and bring down wrath upon them for their wickedness. Let's jump in, in by way of review. Notice last week we looked at, number one, God's anger toward Judah. God's anger toward Judah. Look back at verse 1. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel. The city where David dwelt, add ye year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet I will distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. We said that Ariel, in the Bible that word Ariel is translated to mean an animal. An animal, we looked at, um, or rather reference to Second Samuel 22:30, where that word Ariel um, uh, is tra- the same word translated Ariel here in Isaiah 29 is translated to the word lion-like, lion-like there, and uh, in other places it implies a lion of God, and uh, we know that Assyria would come in and carry Israel away. The ten northern tribes would would loot and steal and 
conquer most of Judah, all but Jerusalem. And the, the animal that was the symbol of the Assyrian kingdom was a lion. And so Ariel, a lion, would come in and tackle, uh, defeat the, the country that uh, represented the lion of God, would impose on Judah. Furthermore, uh, we said letter B that Ariel also means altar. Altar. The same word translated altar in Ezekiel 43.13 is translated altar of God. Altar of God. Now look with me, if you will, look with me at, um, let's see, look with me at verse 3 and 4. And I will camp against thee round about and will lay siege against thee with a mount and I will raise forts against thee and thou shalt be brought down and uh, thou shalt and shalt speak out of the out of the ground and thy speech shall be low out of the dust and thy voice shall be as one that hath a familiar spirit and of the ground and thy speech that uh, shall whisper out of the dust now um, any of you here who have worked with a, a child Maybe that child's even an adult child at this point, but you've invested and worked with and, and loved and, and, and you've poured yourself deeply into a child and then seen that child just rebel and go their own way and then you've, you've tried to fix and repair and, and you've tried to, to take the, the good cop approach and, and tried the incentivizing and loving approach and got nowhere and then you tried to play the bad cop approach and you, you laid down the law and you were hard and firm and, and maybe even cut them off for a time and, and, and it didn't really get any results there. At some point, parents will just throw up their hands or an, a, an adult will throw up their hands in the air and say, no more, I'm done. I, I can't continue to uh, reward your behavior. I can't continue to enable your behavior. I'm finished. And God had gone through this routine with Israel generation after generation of loving on His children, uh, 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 helping His children, punishing them at times, restoring them, rewarding them. He had tried the good cop approach. He had tried the bad cop approach. Israel was just stiff-necked and hard-hearted. They were stubborn and rebellious. They were going to go the wrong direction. And God is saying here, enough is enough. Enough is enough. I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. Um, you will be like an altar. Now, I made the point last week that if you look at Jerusalem from a distance, what you see is a city that's been built. It looks like a layered rock cake. Uh, because um, uh, Israel would get besieged and destroyed, and then they'd come in and build back up. And then it would get destroyed, and they'd come in and build back up. And destroyed, and come. And you look back, and you see all of the rocks that are over there. They just would continue to build on top and build on top. Why? Because the Jews are, are, have been a rebellious people. God would wipe them out, and the city would be rebuilt. And, and so uh, they would lay in the dust as... As, as, um, as ashes on an altar and their voices would cry out because God will have laid them down corporately and burnt them and scorched them for their sin. Now, I made the point last week that the word anger or the idea of anger, wrath, indignation, or vengeance. Those four words, anger, wrath, indignation, or vengeance, as it relates to being tied to a person, you can find examples of that 500 times in the Bible, some 500. 
hundred times in the Bible. Three hundred of those times, it is the Lord who is either angry, wrathful, uh, in, uh, with indignation or vengeance. And in every case, when God gets angry, uh, good comes as a result. Uh, but the other two hundred times, when it's man getting angry, either we're not given the result or the outcome is negative. The outcome is negative. God does not call us to get angry. He does not call us to get angry. Anger is an emotion uh, that it comes as a result of the sin curse. And uh, when we express uh, anger, which uh, wrath, uh, anger would be inward. Wrath is how it's expressed outward. When that is expressed, we are sinning against God. Now, God can get angry because there are things that God can do that we're just not allowed to do. You'll understand that God is the giver and taker of life. God gets to take life. Guess what? You and I, we don't get to take life. Amen? If uh, I take life, I go to jail. Alright? God takes life every day. People die every day. Uh, God gives life every day. Babies are born. uh, uh, People pass away every day. There are things God can do that we cannot. God could get angry and not sin because God has the emotional capacity to do so. Here, God was angry at Judah because of their rebellion, because of their stiff-necked and hard-heartedness. God was done. Number one, God's anger. Number two, the enemy's aggression against Judah, the enemy's aggression. We looked here how that God, in verses 5, 6, and 7, 5, 6, and 7, three different uh, enemies, three different approaches, uh, three different times that an enemy would lay siege to, attack, be the aggressor against Judah. Let's look at them again quickly here. Letter A, we see in verse 5, Assyria dismantled. Assyria dismantled. Look at verse number 5 with me. Uh, Isaiah 29, look at verse 5. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the terrible ones shall be as chaff that passeth away, yet it shall be at an instant suddenly. I love history, and I love biblical history, and I love the, the backstory here. God had called Assyria and raised up the nation of Assyria to come in and carry away the ten northern tribes of Israel captive because they had been wicked and they had been uh, uh, they had been told get it right or God's going to have you carried away into captivity they didn't God raised up the nation of Assyria and carried away the 10 northern tribes they were not supposed to invade the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin just the 10 northern tribes two separate countries at this point they carried away the 10 northern tribes but they just weren't done and so they came in and they attacked um, uh, the regions around Jerusalem uh, Jerusalem, and they were getting ready to tackle Jerusalem and defeat Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, we looked at last week, 2 Kings 19, 35 through 37, how that God sent an angel into the midst there of the Assyrians, and 185,000 soldiers died in one night. God wiped out an army of 185,000 soldiers in one night. Look back at verse 5. Look back at verse 5. Moreover, the multitude of thy strangers shall be like small dust, and the multitude of the terrible ones, this is, I believe, speaking of the Assyrian ones, Assyrians, shall be as chaff that passeth away. Yea, look here, it shall be at an instant 
Suddenly. I'd say that was an instant suddenly. 185,000. Listen, we all know about what's going on over in Ukraine right now. Imagine if the Ukrainians outside of Kiev or Kiev woke up tomorrow and walked out to where the Russian camp was and every soldier was laying there dead. And the war was over. Imagine the headline news that would make. Now, that, this is exactly what happened. These soldiers were sitting right outside of Jerusalem, getting ready to take it over. The angel of the Lord went through and wiped them all out. We see Assyria dismantled. Verse 6, we see Babylonian dominance. Babylonian dominance. Look at verse 6. Thou shalt be visited of the Lord of hosts with thunder and with earthquake and great noise with storm and tempest and the flame of devouring fire. We turned over to Daniel 1 last week and saw that uh, God had sent Assyria by and Assyria came in and, and threatened Jerusalem but did not take it over, but he would let Babylon take over Jerusalem with the devouring fire, with the devouring fire. Um, uh, we know from reading the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah was alive during this time. and Isaiah would not be. Isaiah would have passed away. But Jeremiah was alive, and Jeremiah was carried away into Babylon in the captivity and then allowed to come home. And what did Jeremiah say he saw as he walked around the city of Jerusalem after it had been burned? Well, first, the temple, the great temple that Solomon built had been completely destroyed and burned down. History tells us. And all of the dishes and all of the ornate uh, um, furniture that belonged in the temple got carried away into Babylon. The Babylonian scholars and the, the, the children with uh, what would be equivalent to a high grade point average were carried away into Babylon. And uh, the, the weak and frail of society were left to sit in the dust, in the soot, with ash on their face. And Jeremiah came home to this site to see these poor paupers and people, he, he, he would see women who did not have enough nutrition to even nurse a child. He would see little girls and little boys uh, dumpster diving, looking for food and not able to find anything, and sitting there in the ash crying as they're starving to death. Why? Because God was through with Israel's rebellion against Him, and so He allowed this, this nation to be carried away into captivity. Was this God's fault? Absolutely not. This was their fault for being rebellious against God Punishment had fallen, Babylonian dominance. Letter C, we see the Antichrist destroyed. Look at verse 7 and look at verse 8. And the multitude of the nations that fight against Ariel, even all that fight against her and her munition, and that distress her shall be as a dream of a night vision. It shall even be as when a hungry man dreameth, and, he, and behold, he eateth, but he awaketh, and his soul is empty. Whereas when a thirsty man dreameth, and behold, he drinketh, but he awaketh, and behold, he is faint, and his soul hath appetite. So shall the multitude of all the nations be that fight against Mount Zion. The key there is the word nations. Nations. One day the nations of the world are going to gather together, and there's going to be a war led by the Antichrist against the Jewish nation, and it's going to appear as though the Jewish nation is going to be wiped out for good, this battle will take place, the book of Revelation tells us, in the valley of Megiddo. Zechariah chapter 14, we looked at last week. King Jesus will come down out of the sky. Uh, he'll come down and he will intervene on behalf of Israel. And the Antichrist 
will be destroyed. The Antichrist and his armies will be destroyed. The Antichrist himself will be bound up and thrown into hell for a thousand years. But we know that the, uh, en- the enemies who are the aggressors against Judah, we know that the Antichrist will be that final oppressor, that final oppressor against the Jewish state. Sometime back, my uncle uh, was up visiting from Louisiana. He had work up in the New York, or New Jersey area, rather. He's a, a, a pipe welding engineer. And he was up this way working with a company and, and came up from New Jersey to see our family here. And he's a Christian man. He's uh, a, a not real established in church, but he's saved. And he's sitting in the living room, uh, my dad's living room. And he looked at me and my dad and he said, why is it that it just seems to be throughout history the Jews have just always seemed to be the persecuted people? And um, I think a lot of people wonder that, right? Why is it that the Jews just always seem to be on the wrong side of history? I've known a handful of Jewish people in my lifetime, and um, I've known some Jews that are easy to get along with, and I've known some Jews that aren't so easy to get along with. And um, there are all sorts of stereotypes, I guess, uh, people paint with a broad brush about any a group of people. And uh, the Jews, no doubt, have been painted with a broad brush. And there are, reason, there are reasons why any stereotypes are in place. There's obviously exceptions to the rules, but the Jews have just always seemed to be on the wrong side of history. Uh, uh, we think of Hitler. We go back through history and, and find different instances where the Jews have been a persecuted people. And um, even now, over in the Middle East, the Jews are be under a, a, a persecution from the uh, the, Palest, uh, the pa- Palestine and, and and the nations who would ascribe to that, and we look at this and, and we think, why is it that these people are under assault? And there are many many uh, political reasons, uh, many political angles by which that can be answered. But I just want to back away from all the politics for a minute, and back away from all the personality quirks for a minute, and just say this: one of the main reasons why Israel is under constant assault is because they are the people of God. And Satan hates God. And so Satan makes sure that the Jewish state continues to be attacked and continues to be attacked and continues to be attacked. But one day, King Jesus will rule as a Jewish king in Jerusalem on a Jewish throne on this planet for a thousand years. And Jerusalem will be the epicenter of the earth. It will be not only the political capital of the world, it will be the economic capital of the world. It will be the spiritual capital of the world. Any other capital, you, a, a title, adjective you want to throw in front of there, they will be the capital of the world. Number three, we last week, we, we stopped on number three. We got through the first two subpoints there. Number three, we said Judah's attitude toward God. Judah's attitude toward God. All right, let's, uh, let's dial in here. I lost some of you. Some of you went to sleep on me. Amen. Wake up. All right, we're getting ready to jump into new material. This is your wake-up call. Amen. How many of you remember back in the day when you go stay to Motel 6? Um, what was the guy's name on the radio? Was it um, Ted Bodette? Or uh, something, was that his name, Sean? Todd Bodette, there it is. And what would he say? We'll leave the light on for you, right? And uh, my dad loved to put us in Motel 6s, and now that I'm older, I would never stay in a Motel 6. You wouldn't be able to drag me in there, Brother Jason. I'm just not doing it. I'm a little bit of a hotel snob, amen? And the locks don't work on the doors, right? Um, but uh, the old wake-up call, the old wake-up call, I stayed in a hotel for our couples conference, and someone played a prank on me, whoever stayed there prior. They set the alarm for 6 a.m. and left the room. 
And so there I am laying in bed, supposed to be on a little vacation, you know, with my wife. And bonk, 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 6 a.m. Don't ever do that to anyone. That's just not nice. Amen. Woke me up out of a dead sleep. And, uh, but the old wake-up call, amen, this is your wake-up call. Let's look at Judah's attitude toward God. What brought God's wrath, God's anger down on Israel? What did they do to cause God to let the Babylonians come in and carry him away captive. God is, listen, I want everybody to hear what I'm about to say. God is not a, not a divine being with a big ogre stick just waiting with a, a grin on his face to bop you over the head. That's not God's attitude. God is not looking to punish you. God is not some authoritarian autocrat looking to whack you over the head. God is a God of love and God does not want to punish his people uh, but like any good uh, parent or any good authority, when the uh, when we're bad long enough, if God does not step up and punish, then He would not be doing His job. That would be irresponsible. So, what did Israel do to bring all this down on their head? Well, last week we said they were spiritually asleep. Spiritually asleep. Look at verse nine. Stay yourselves and wander. Cry ye out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger. But not with strong drink, for the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, spiritually asleep, and hath closed your eyes, the prophets and your rulers, and uh, the seers hath he covered, and, uh, and the vision of all is become unto you as the words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that is not learned or uneducated, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I am not learned. And so we saw dullness in verse 9 and 10. They stagger around as though they're drunk. They uh, walk around as though they're groggy and half asleep. They're dull. They're spiritually dull. They're, they're, there's no interest in the things of God. They're, they're dull. But not only are they dull, they're disinterested. The educated make excuses as to why they can't figure out uh, what's coming down the, the line and what's going on. And the uneducated make excuses and say, well, I can't read. And so how am I supposed to look at these things? But not only did we say last week uh, that they, uh, their attitude toward God was that they were spiritually asleep. Letter B, we said they were spiritually aloof. They just, they didn't care. They didn't care. We looked at this Sunday night when we talked about uh, those who are apathetic. They just don't care. Look at verse number 13 and 14. This was their attitude toward their God who had called Abraham out and established him as a nation. Wherefore the Lord saith, for as much as this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. And their fear toward me uh, is taught by the precepts of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent man, men shall be hid. Uh, we said last week that they were going through the motions outwardly, but inwardly their heart was far from God. Going through the motions. We talked about how that, that describes most in fact, I'll just say it describes all religion, scare quotes, religion in the world today. It's going through the motions outwardly of I'm going to be a good person. And I'm going to say the right things. How many different religions around the world 
do you go into a church and sit there, a church building, I use that word church loosely, but you go into a religious institution, you sit down at the scribe service time, and you chant after the religious leader. He says a phrase, and you say a phrase. And he says a phrase, and you say a phrase. And you get up and you leave unchanged. You get up and leave all the same. You've made no change in your heart of who you are. Jesus said in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 6 that we're to avoid vain repetitions. Vain repetitions. This is going through the motions outwardly. And here the Jews are showing up in the temple. They're doing the sacrifices the way that uh, Moses had been commanded. And uh, they're uh, showing up for the feasts. And they're dotting all of the religious I's. They're crossing all the religious T's. They're saying all the right things with their mouth but their heart is far removed from God. You know, here's the reality of it. I hope everyone's listening tonight. If you're going through all the motions, no one really knows except you whether or not God has your heart. But God knows and you know. God knows and you know. Chances are, if you've been saved long enough, you've had times in your life where you've just gone through the motions. You've just gone through the motions. And the reality is you come and you're just spiritually aloof, right? Um, Pastor Brown or Pastor Peslak or Pastor Lejeune or a guest pastor can stand up here and preach a, 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 a sermon that's powerful. And the altar's full and there's not even a twinge of conviction in your heart. There's not even a little sense of, I, I need to change. And... We're religious, we're showing up to church. I just want to remind everybody, going to church does not impress God, not even one tiny little bit. Putting money in the offering plate does not impress God one tiny little bit. Showing up on soul winning on Saturdays does not impress God, not even one tiny little bit. God's not looking for your outward actions. He's looking for your inward heart. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we get in the habit of doing what other men see, what other women see, what our brothers and sisters in the Lord can observe, but inwardly we're spiritually aloof. God said to Israel, part of the reason why I'm going to pour out my anger on you and allow these aggressors to come in and and dominate you and take you away into captivity and and, and terrorize you is because you are spiritually aloof. Let's move on and look at letter C, and then we'll look at point four. Letter C, this is new material. We see not only was their attitude that they were spiritually asleep and spiritually aloof, but letter C, we see spiritually absurd. Spiritually absurd. Look at verse 15 and 16. These are some of the most bizarre verses in Isaiah. And I say bizarre not because uh, they're, they're not, not because they're illogical, because they're, they are logical, but the, de- the description of the behavior of the people is illogical. In fact, there are six woes uh, from Isaiah 28 through chapter 33, I believe. Six woes levied against Israel. Two of them are found right here in this chapter. This act is so bad that God devoted its own woe to it. Look at verse 15. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. And they say, who seeth us? And 
Who knoweth us? Surely your turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay. For shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not? Or shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, uh, he hath no understanding? These verses are right on the heels of people who were going through the religious motions and and going into the temple and doing the sacrifice and, and praising God with their lips. But then they think that they can do sin in the dark and not even God will know about it. That is spiritually absurd. Let me ask a question tonight. Raise your hand uh, in here if you are an atheist. Any atheists in the room tonight? You do not believe in God. Okay? Thank you for your honesty. appreciate that. Anybody else? Say, I'm an atheist. All right. In a church service on a Wednesday evening, we're not going to have too many atheists show up. But can I tell you that when you say there's a God with your lips, but you go off in private when no one else is watching you and you live in sin, your actions are saying that you really don't believe there's a God. We call that being a practical atheist. Practical atheist. It's the idea of, I'm going to go to church on Sunday and make everyone believe that I love the Lord But then when I'm by myself at home on Monday and no one's watching me, I can watch whatever I want on TV, even if it's contrary to the Word of God. I can go with my friends on Tuesday and live however I want, even if it's contrary to God. I can use whatever language I want and behave however I want throughout the week, but then show up to church on Sunday or Wednesday and in front of everybody put on a big show. That's spiritually absurd. I'll take it a step further. Um, When you pray... When you pray, do you try to hide things from God? I'm going to confess my sins, but I'm not going to verbalize these struggles because I don't want to tell God. He already knows. Who are you fooling? Not God. He sees your very thoughts. He can ponder your heart. He knows everything. Christian, one of the healthiest exercises for you to do is to get down on your knees and be brutally honest with yourself over your own sin and prayer. Boy, it gives you a great perspective. I really believe this, that people who struggle with unforgiveness have not been honest with themselves over their own sin. Because when we get on our knees and we're daily or at least several times a week, uh, on our knees, telling God we're sorry, and we're being very specific over what we've done wrong, and we're agreeing with God over our iniquities, the only way God's going to forgive you is if you're forgiving your brother and sister their trespasses. And we begin to see how wicked we are, and we need God's forgiveness, well, then we better turn around and forgive others. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 4. Pharisees love to pray out in front of people. Jesus said that's not the way to do it. He said, you need to be right with me in private, not just in public. Look at verse 4. That thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Look down at verse 6. But thou, when thou prayest, 
enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. All of us have character flaws. All of us. All of us, when we're at our worst, would not want any of, any of our brothers and sisters at church to know that or see it. None of us. And I'm not trying to stand up here tonight and say that you are a hypocrite if you have a bad moment in private when no one sees you. Because we all have bad moments in private when no one sees it. But are you flaunting that as though God doesn't know? Do you have a calloused heart when you get on your knees before God? You know what? Um, in full transparency, sometimes um, I, I get under a load of stress and, and I can be less than kind at home. I'm, a, I'm not normally cantankerous or hard to live with, but I'm not a robot either. Sometimes I can be cantankerous and difficult and, and, and be sharp with my kids or be sharp in my tone or my attitude toward my wife. And, and um, if I were to act that way and never be contrite and apologize, um, that would be a problem. Many people live in sin and then don't want to get on their knees and tell God they're sorry for their sin. Boy, what's healthy with my family is for me to come around and say to my children, Dad had a sharp tone. He's, he was wrong. He's sorry. I was wrong for that. With God, Lord, I, I stepped out of bounds. I didn't do right. And Lord, I want to confess this. It is spiritually absurd for you to think that you can somehow live however you want in private and for God not to know about it. And God is saying through Isaiah to Israel, to Judah, you are going to be carried away in captivity because you think that somehow you can do whatever you want and God won't even know about it. He says that's spiritually absurd. Number four. Number four, notice God's atonement of Judah. God's atonement of Judah. We see a pattern throughout the prophets. Uh, there is talk of great harsh punishment being poured down um, on uh, God's people when they step out of bounds, but then generally on the hills of this, of this threat of punishment, we find verses of when God's going to come behind and restore and help and, and renew. And so we end the chapter here from verse 17 down through 24 of, uh, uh, of God restoring, of a future promise of God restoring uh, Jerusalem. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, the maimed healed. The maimed healed. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. It is not yet a very little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field, and the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. We know from other prophecies that Lebanon, like many other countries, will come and do pay homage and and, and, and worship the Lord in Jerusalem during the millennial reign. That's a reference, verse 17. And how do we know that? Verse 18, and this is a, a little key to understanding Old Testament prophecy. Look here. And in that day. Anytime you're reading through prophets and you see that phrase, in that day, or the phrase, the day of the Lord, in that day, the day of the Lord, that is immediately you need to change and realize this is talking about the millennial reign of Christ or the great tribulation and millennial 
reign of Christ. In that day. So we've gone in 29, 1 through 16, talking about the present day, uh, to 17, 4, we're talking about a future day where Jerusalem will be restored. In that day, verse 18 continues, shall the deaf hear the words of the book and the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord, and the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. What's the, what are these verses saying? There is coming a day where the blind will be given their sight. Blind will be given their sight. The deaf will be able to hear. Now, is this um, literal or is this figurative? Take a minute and think about that. Is this literal Blind people will be able to see and deaf will be able to hear? Or is this speaking about people who are spiritually blind and spiritually deaf being able to hear and see the Lord? I believe the answer is both. I believe the answer is both. I believe that in the millennial reign, Jesus Christ will sit on the throne and those that worship Him in spirit and truth who come to Him with blindness, He'll heal. Those who come to Him who are deaf will be able able to hear. And those who are spiritually blind and want to see, he'll take the veil away from their eyes. He'll remove the spiritual cataracts, if you will. Those who are spiritually deaf and can't discern, he'll, he'll take away that struggle and give them the ability to hear. We see the maimed, healed, letter B, the proud, humbled. The proud, humbled. Look at verse number 20. Verse 20. For the terrible one is brought to naught, and the scorner is consumed, and all that watch for iniquity are cut off, that make a man an offender for a word, and lay a snare for him, that reproveth in the gate, and turn aside the just for a thing of naught. The one day those who are corrupt and evil and instruments of wickedness in this earth, God is going to humiliate them. Humiliate them. I'll say this again Sunday evening in my message in some form, but the old adage is, be humble or be humiliated. Right? Be humble before God or be humiliated. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. He lifts up the humble, he puts down the proud. Can I tell you that there's been a pattern in my life, right? Um, I am lifted up in pride and God punishes me and abases me. And then I'm humble and God lifts me up. And then I look around and go, wow, look, how, look where I am. I, just, I'm, I must be pretty great. And then God puts me back down. And then he brings me back up, puts me back down, right? And uh, hopefully, you know, I get to the point where I always give him the credit, not only a token credit, but in my heart. I understand anything good that I do, he deserves the credit. Amen? One day God is going to sit on the throne and all of those rebellious forces in the world that are fighting against God, they're going, to be, they're going to be put down. And the proud will be humbled, let her see. And lastly, notice, the Lord honored. The Lord honored. Look at verse 22. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, who redeemed Abraham concerning the house of Jacob, Jacob shall not, know, shall, shall not now be ashamed, neither shall his face now wax pale. But when he seeth his children, the work of mine hand in the midst of him, they shall sanctify my name and sanctify the Holy One of Jacob and shall fear the God of Israel. They also 
that erred in spirit shall come to understanding, and they that murmured shall learn doctrine. They that murmured shall learn doctrine. Um, it's, it's special when you see a, a, a mother or father or both and a child, an adult child, that's had a rocky relationship, had their ups and downs, their, their peaks and their valleys, their good times and their bad times. And, and, and then in the adult, the, the, the peaks are really high and the valleys are really low. And, and, and mom and dad are aging and mom and dad are nearing the end of life. And then all of a sudden, that child matures to a point where he owns his part of it. And then there's this restoration of a relationship. And if you ever get to see that type of restoration or healing, and you're a witness to it, you get to see it, boy, and you know the whole story, your heart floods with emotions and potentially tears even run down your cheeks. And I'm speaking as a Gentile here, but one day when I get to stand in Jerusalem and see the Jewish people who've had this rocky road, rocky relationship with their maker, with their, with their king of kings and lord of lords. I get to see them sanctify his name and worship Jesus as their Messiah. We all know that the current state of Judaism, they reject Jesus as the Messiah. One day they'll embrace and they will honor the Lord Jesus Christ. They'll worship him and to get to be a witness to that, it's going to be pretty great. It's going to be pretty great. The Lord will be honored. The Jewish state will worship their king. Jerusalem will be restored. Yes, they've been rebuked. You can look at Jerusalem from a, uh, as a, as just an outsider and you can see the layered rock cake that Jerusalem is because they've been destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt. One day, uh, the Jerusalem uh, uh, that's been destroyed and rebuilt, that rock cake will have a king sit on top of it named Jesus who will rule and reign supreme and Jew and Gentile alike will get to come and worship the Lord. Oh, what a great and wonderful day that will be. Uh, you know what? In your now and now, in your uh, day to day, we are working to get through another day. How many of you are with me that sometimes it's just surviving this week? Amen? The goal is just to make it through one more week and, and keep your sanity intact. Amen? And keep your marriage intact, keep your family intact. Um, some of you in here work with kids, not kill anybody. Amen? Right? Your first, second grade teacher over here. Um, you know, just make it one more week. And, uh, and you know, uh, do your duty and do your due diligence at church, whether it's master clubs or life group or, or nursery or ushering. And, and you want to come in with a smile on your face and you want to make sure you're doing your part. And you think, oh, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm gassed, right? I'm, I'm struggling here. Just remember, there's coming a day when no heartache will come, no more tears in the, in the eyes. Amen? We're going to stand in the presence of God and we're going to worship Him and all of this will be but a fleeting thing. And uh, God wants us to be faithful. God wants us to be faithful. You may be going through a time of being rebuked by God or you may go through that. God wants to restore you. He wants to restore you. Turn to Him in humility. Humble your heart. Don't be spiritually asleep. Don't be spiritually aloof. And don't behave in a way that's spiritually absurd. Humble your heart and honor the Lord and you'll see... Uh, that restoration come to your soul.